Let's have a word of prayer. Lord, we do thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, who is not only the author of our salvation, but the finisher. Lord, from beginning to end, everything flows forth from him. And Lord, it's a sad reality that many Christians have looked to Christ for their justification. They've looked to him for entrance into heaven, but Lord, they try to live the Christian life on their own strength. And Lord, there's so much failure because of that. Lord, we thank you for the writings of Paul, which pull back the veil on the mystery of Christ. As we talked about last week, in the Old Testament, it wasn't a mystery that Christ would come, but he largely was a mystery. So many of the things that we now know to be true of him weren't known by the Old Testament saints. But thankfully, we can know them, and we can know him in a very deep personal way. I pray, Lord, that this study would encourage us in that direction. That like the Apostle Paul, our desire would be to know him. And that we would spend our time here on earth getting to know him. Since we're going to spend all eternity with him. Now, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. I pray that he would work through me this morning just to guide in our time together. First, in the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to be picking up in Colossians 2, verse 8 today. Of course, let me remind you what the theme of the letter is. That the Christian life finds its sole source in Jesus Christ, who is preeminent over all things. This letter is about the fact that we need nothing besides Christ to successfully live the Christian life. And because of who Christ is, no one could possibly add to what he has provided. He is preeminent over all things. Of course, Paul started his letter after his, his opening salutation, uh, talking about his prayers for the Colossian believers and others. Prayers of thanksgiving, prayers of uh, petition. And his prayers, we saw, all revolve around the completed work of Christ. You know, he, he, you never find anywhere in the New Testament, Paul or any of the apostles, praying that God would give the believer anything they didn't already have. His thanksgivings were for the impact that Christ had already had in these believers' lives. His petitions were in the area of their knowledge and their understanding. Uh, and that's what our prayers need to be for ourselves and for others. That we would grow in our knowledge and understanding of who we are, of what we have. That our prayer would be, Lord, I want to know who I am in Christ and I want to appropriate the provisions that are there for me. I want my life to accurately reflect the fact that I am a child of the Most High God. That I am a citizen of the heavenly realm. I want my life to be consistent with the fact that I indeed am a new creation. And, you know, Paul's prayers were always in that direction. Now, after looking at his prayers, Paul moved into the section of the letter where he, he looks at, really, the preeminence of Christ. He focuses in on, really, who Christ is. And he reveals a lot of things about Christ that the Old Testament saints would have never known. We talked about this last week. That, you know, the Old Testament saints in the prophetic writings knew that Christ was going to come. The prophecies predicted the virgin birth. The, the prophecies predicted his substitutionary death, although the Jews did not want to really embrace that prophecy, and especially his disciples did not want to accept that prophecy, but it was there. But a whole lot of other things about Christ weren't there. And we got into what was known as the Christ hymn, where it talks about First of all, that, you know, 
uh, basically Christ was the image of the invisible God. That in him was embodied everything that God was, but in a visible form. As F.F. Bruce said, uh, in Christ the invisible became visible. And then we saw, you know, that creation around us uh, was sourced in Christ. It was brought about by Christ. It was done for Christ. And that Christ is the one who continues to sustain the universe. Without Christ, all this would go away. It would cease to exist. And then he flowed from Christ in relationship to creation to Christ in relationship to the new creation. And once again, it was sourced in him. He is the head of it. He is tied into it in every way. And so, uh, basically, Paul came down to the fact that because in Christ all fullness dwells, and I said a lot of commentaries want to read into that, that the fullness of God dwells. No, it's more than that. If you look at the context in the flow of events, all fullness dwells in Christ. The fullness of God, the fullness of creation, and the fullness of the new creation. It is all embodied in him. And therefore, he became the one to reconcile all things. And he did it through his blood. There is no one higher than Christ. There is no one who can add to what Christ has done. And so then Paul flowed from there. And again, this is all by way of review, but I want us to be thinking our way through this, this letter. He flows from there that into his own ministry. And we saw that Paul, when he spoke of his own ministry, said that he preached Christ. Everything Paul, you know, focused on was Christ. It wasn't a religious system. It wasn't a set of rules and regulations. His focus was on Christ. And he saw, you know, this as a stewardship that had been given to him by God. A steward was a servant who, to whom the master of the house entrusted everything. And when Paul spoke of his stewardship, he spoke of it involving the mysteries of Christ. I talked about that just a minute ago. You know, a mystery in the New Testament is something that had always been part of God's plan, but had not previously been revealed. And as I said just shortly ago, you know, in the Old Testament, Christ wasn't a mystery. I mean, his coming wasn't a mystery. His death wasn't a mystery. But he was largely a mystery. The Old Testament saint didn't know that Christ was the creator of all things. They didn't know that he was the sustainer of all things. They didn't know, really, that their Messiah was, was going to be God incarnate. They saw him coming from God, but they did not understand a lot of these truths that Paul and the other apostles pulled back the veil on, and Paul in particular. Because Paul, more than any of the other apostles, revealed things that had long remained secret had long remained uh, uh, not under, uh, known and understood. And so, you know, last week we ended coming down to um, uh, verses two, uh, 6 and 7 of chapter 2. It says, uh, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him having been firmly rooted and now built up in him, established in your faith, just as you were instructed with uh, overflowing with gratitude. And here Paul's encouragement is that 
they continue on the same path they had begun on. They had begun their Christian lives with faith in Christ. And that's the way they're they're to continue moving forward. Not looking for something else. Now this brings us to the next section. Paul now actually confronts the false teachings. Or at least some of it. I don't know that he takes it all on. But he takes on some of the main elements of the false teaching. And in our uh, opening uh, class, we talked about the fact that there's been a lot of debate over what the theological errors were. Many try to fit them into certain uh, first century theological systems. Some of it fits, some of it doesn't. Uh, It seems more that it was a hodgepodge of things. That you can't Uh, take one theological system and say this describes what Paul was confronting no there there are elements of of you know Greek thinking Uh, there were elements of Gnostic thinking there were elements of uh, Judaism Uh, there were a lot of different elements because like you know the world we live in Uh, Colossae was an area with a lot of different influences. And so a lot of different things were were, uh, there to draw the church away from Christ. Now in verse 8, we start out here, this new section. It says, See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the tradition of men according to the elementary principles of the world rather than according to Christ. Now, uh, earlier, I didn't make mention to this, but, uh, you know, last week we also saw that Paul said that in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I said, you know, at least twice in in uh, Colossians, Paul speaks of things being hidden in Christ. And I, I said, where something is hidden is where you will find them. You won't find it somewhere else. And he says, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And I think in this way, he begins to set the stage and build a bridge to this section we're now entering into. Because there were those, you know, who had accepted Christ, but now people were coming along and saying, look, there are great treasures for you to be found in the Greek wisdom. There are treasures for you to be found in the the uh, early forms of Gnostic knowledge. You know, Christ, I mean, Paul says, no. The things that mankind was seeking in wisdom, the things that mankind was seeking in knowledge, was was to be found in Christ. And so now, he says, look, I don't want you to be taken captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now, Paul here doesn't seem to be dealing with something future or hypothetical. He seems to be dealing with a very real and present danger that the Colossian believers faced. And the threat he describes as being taken captive. And the Greek word translated taken captive had to do with being carried away as the plunder or spoils of war. The Colossian believers, like us, were involved in a spiritual battle. And they were uh, in danger of becoming spoils of war to the enemy by being led astray from the truth. They were in danger of being led astray by what Paul describes as philosophy and empty deception. I think Paul uses these terms to deal with those who were promoting so-called wisdom and so-called knowledge. But Paul doesn't want to basically uh, 
What's the term I want to use? He's not trying to use those terms because that would almost give them a a good connotation. (laughs) See, they weren't in danger of being carried away by wisdom. (laughs) True wisdom finds finds Christ. They weren't in danger by letting astray, being led astray by, by true knowledge. Knowledge will lead us to Christ. They were being in danger of being led astray by those who claimed that they were promoting wisdom. They were in danger of being carried away as spoils of war by those who claimed to have this higher knowledge. It was pseudo-wisdom. It was pseudo-knowledge that was leading, seeking to lead them away uh, from, uh, from Christ. And so while they claimed to love wisdom, while they claimed to pursue knowledge, what they indeed were following were traditions of men. And what they were really following is basic principles by which this lost world operates. What they were not taking into account was Christ. Now that was a danger that the church in Colossae faced, but it's a danger we face. The church today faces the danger of being carried away as spoils of war by a lot of the things the unbelieving world is promoting. And Christians, sadly to, sad to say, are buying into a lot of what the world promotes. You know, I was trying to think through some of these things this week and jotting down a few. And you know, one of the big ones that the, that the world promotes and many Christians buy into is that our problems are the result of a poor self-image. Your problems come from the fact that you have a poor self-image. That's why all those guys are at FOA, right, Mike? They, they have poor self-image. You know, I had a friend in Ireland who worked with a lot of kids that had been in trouble with the law. And he said, you know, the psychologists tell us they have a poor self-image. He said, those guys can talk about themselves for hours on end. They don't have a poor self-image. Our problem is that we do have a (laughs) self-image. And that really we have too good a self-image of our, you know. We tend to to dismiss the fact that in Scripture it says, in my flesh dwells no good thing. (laughs) Nothing good is in my flesh. If I think there is something about me apart from Christ that is good, I have deceived myself or been deceived by somebody into thinking that. See, the problem is that we don't have a poor self-image. Our problem is we don't oftentimes have a Christ image. Jonell had a book she used to use with several women uh, she met with, which had to do with uh, Christ image versus self-image. And the reality is, you know, we need to increasingly see ourselves in Christ. And the image we have of ourselves needs to be who we are in Christ. But the world tells us it's about self-image. And so, and, and what does that do? That draws us away from Christ because it makes us self-focused. I can't be focused on Rick Barth and be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ at the same time. If I'm focused on me, if I'm focused on fixing myself, my focus isn't on Christ. 
Man, Satan would like nothing more than for us to be so focused on getting our lives right that we don't have time for the Lord Jesus Christ. Rick, isn't that an issue that we've seen so much and I'm sure I'll do it too. Uh, when people come to us so much, they just want to tell me what to do. Yeah. And tell me what to think. And me, you know, yeah. Me. yeah. How do I fix my life? Or how do I fix my marriage? It's not about really getting to know Christ. And Christ will change everything. And it says, When we're focused on self, there is no satisfaction. There is believers that can't be. Yeah. Because that's not who we are. are. No. So we'll never find it in ourselves. No. 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 You know, I think another thing we've bought in on is that our problems will be solved by better education. We lose sight of the fact that in you know, the days leading up to World War II, some of the most educated people in Germany were out at the forefront of what was going on. Education isn't going to solve men's problems. Now, I'm not anti-education. I sp- we spent 14 years in a- teaching in a college-type setting. But if... If that education isn't bringing us towards Christ, it's not going to change anything. It's not going to fix anything. Another big one, I love this one, and if you don't recognize sarcasm, it is. uh, (laughs) That truth is relative. You know, that's true for you, but it's not true for me. Truth is not relative. Truth is is absolute. We can all be wrong, but we can't all be right if we hold to differing views. And because of that, many believers have given up, really, on getting deep into the scriptures because, you know, it's this, there's this kind of idea, you know, we can't ever really know for sure what the truth is. So we just give up. We pursue nothing. Or, a lot come down, and I've heard this many times, all that really matters are the essentials. All that matters is that we agree on the essentials. Essential for what? Are you talking about what's essential to creep through the door into heaven? (laughs) Are you talking about what's essential to live the Christian life? Because so many have gone away. You know, is we, we, we all, we just want to talk about what everybody agrees with. So, you know, we'll only talk about the fact that Christ died for our sins. And if we put our faith in Him, we can go to heaven. But let's not move forward into any other of this other stuff because there's disagreement. Rather than, you know, plowing forward and saying, Lord... Show us what is true. You know, this idea that we only focus on the essentials has kept us, kept many believers from really getting to know Christ. And I don't know what they're going to say one day when they stand before the Lord and they say, Well, most of your word wasn't essential. What that God gave us isn't essential. (laughs) You know, it was God sitting up there and saying, well, I'm going to tell them this. It's really not important. There's no really any need for them to know it. It's not essential. But I'm going to give it to them anyhow. Now, certainly, you get in the Old Testament, there are things that are essential for Israel that aren't essential for the church. I don't think there's a thing in the epistles that aren't, that's not essential. That's not there 
for our understanding and our growth. But if, if, we, if we take this idea that most of what's in the New Testament isn't really that important, we're never really going to get to know Christ. And of course the world has led us into this thinking and many have bought into it that spiritual things are a private thing. There's no place for them in the public realm. Paul didn't espouse that view. Peter didn't buy into it. Christ certainly didn't buy into it. And yet, many Christians have bought into it. I mean, this is just a few. This is the tip of the iceberg of the things that believers have bought into that the world is promoting out there. And we're taking it on board as if it's wisdom, as as if it's, it's true knowledge, and it's not. Again, Christ is the one in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. None of these systems, these, you know, Greek systems, Gnostic systems, none of them could offer the Colossian believers anything they really needed. Because it was all in Christ. And in verse 9 it says, For in him, that is Christ, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete. He is the head over all rule and authority. Christ is the source of everything real and lasting. Why? Because in him is embodied everything that God is. In him is the fullness of God. He's not a watered down version of God. He is everything that the Father is. Everything that the Spirit is. The only way that he differs from the Father and the Spirit is that he has taken his deity and put it in a bodily form in what's known as the hypostatic union the fact that he is undiminished God and at the same time unexalted humanity now Paul says you know in him is everything God is the fullness of God is crammed into this package And therefore, the fact that we as believers are positioned in Christ means that you and I lack absolutely nothing. Translated complete. Now, the, it's interesting, the word translated complete here is a different word from the word translated complete back in Colossians 1.28. There, we saw that the word complete had to do with being brought to maturity. That Paul talked about that his ministry was to see people brought to completion, brought to maturity in Christ. That's not the word that's used here. Here, Paul is not saying that in Christ, you and I have been made mature. Instead, He uses a word that has to do with the fact that in Christ, just like in Christ is all the fullness of the Godhead, in Christ we have been made full. I think it's interesting that the word translated complete here shares the same root as the word translated fullness back in verse 9 says, you know, in him uh, you know, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Same Greek root. You know, in him we have been made full. We've been left lacking nothing.
Stop and think about that. Everything that is true of God is packaged in Christ. And because we are inseparably bound to Christ, we have all fullness. You lack nothing. I lack nothing. Now we don't look that way a lot of times. We don't live that way. But is it because we're lacking or because we're not appropriating, not utilizing? Again, I think I used this illustration a few weeks ago, but I think it fits again here. You know, I, yeah, with our students there at the school, a lot of, uh, there at the school, there was, uh, you paid your way through as you went. There was no running up a school bill or anything it was and a lot of them you know were working and trying to pay their bill every month and some of them were struggling to do it and I said look what if you're you know you're struggling to pay your your school bill but this very wealthy relative dies and leaves you his vast fortune it would not change your life one bit if you didn't know it if no one told you that this great fortune had been left to you, it could all be sitting in a bank somewhere or in stocks and bonds. It could be all off there. And on paper, it's yours. But if you don't know you have it, it won't change your, your life. It won't affect your financial experience. And, you know, or if somebody comes to you, a lawyer or something comes to you and says, Hey, this relative left you millions of dollars. And you don't want to believe it. It won't change anything. It won't change a thing. The only way it will change anything is if you become informed that you have it, you believe that you have it, you begin learning where it is and how to get hold of it. <laughs> then it changes things. And so everybody who has ever placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is complete in Him. Lacks nothing, spiritually nothing that is needed for time and eternity. It's all there. But many Christians don't know it. No one's ever told them. And they haven't really dug into the word deep enough for themselves to learn it. So they, they don't have a clue what they have. And others have read these passages, but they don't believe it. They, they read, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But do they believe that? Many don't. It's like I've shared before. You listen to the average testimony and what do people say, what Christians say, I'm just a sinner. That doesn't sound like a new creation to me. That sounds like they're continuing to define themselves on the basis of their old life. Oh, I still have a sin nature. I can't deny that because my wife's in the room. Uh, I have a sin nature. But that's not who I am. That's not how I define myself. I define myself the way God defines me. I'm a child of the Most High God. I'm a joint heir with Christ. I'm a citizen of heaven. My body is the very temple of the Holy Spirit. I am a new creation. I embrace that identity. And I know when I sin that it is inconsistent with who I am in Christ. And I don't see it as this is just a normal thing. No, it's not. It's an abnormal thing. 
See, people read, Christians read the scriptures and, you know, they don't realize that faith entails me taking God at his word. When he says, I'm a new creation, I don't care what I look like, I believe him that I'm a new creation. When he tells me that I have everything necessary for life and godliness in Christ Jesus, I believe it and I start praying, Lord, I want to see these provisions. I want to recognize them. I want to appropriate them. My prayer in the morning isn't, Lord, help me not to sin today. My prayer is, Lord, I want to live like a new creation today. I want my heavenly citizenship to be evident to those looking on. When people look at me, I want them to get a glimpse of Christ. See, the Christian life is so much more positive than many want to view it. So many view the Christian life as what I'm not going to do. I'm trying not to sin. I'm trying not to this, not to that. Rather than viewing it, look, here is who I have the potential to be. Here is what God has provided for me. And learning to live like a child of the Most High God. Stop and think about it. That's who you are. If you don't think that's who you are, you're calling God a liar. If you don't believe you're a citizen of heaven, you're calling God a liar. If you don't see yourself as having everything necessary for life and godliness, you're calling God a liar. These are all things that we know to be true because God says it. And the Christian life is meant to be a journey of growing in our knowledge and appropriation of what we have had since the moment we placed our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. My relationship to this world was severed 64 years ago. When as a five-year-old child I accepted Christ as my Savior. My tie to Adam was severed 64 years ago. Now, did I realize it back then? No. And it's been a journey coming to know and understand these things. And have I arrived? No. But I believe I'm further along than I was. Because when I look back 10, 15, 20 years, I can see where the Lord has brought me since then. And yet he continues to work. Now the fact that we are positioned in Christ means that we are identified with the ultimate ruler and authority. He says, he is the head over all rule and authority. Here, Christ is, again, seen to be holding the highest position authority-wise. Now, certainly, higher than any earthly ruler. But Paul's use of the word all here seems to even carry it into the spiritual realm. There is no one on heaven, in heaven and earth that holds a higher position than Christ. Now, you know, the false teachers who were uh, attacking the church there in Colossae were individuals who gave the appearance of speaking with great authority. And that generally is very true. People don't tend to follow individuals that seem to have no authority in what they're saying. (laughs) 
False teachers are great at projecting the fact that they are authoritative. They know what they're talking about. But Paul points out that the same Christ who is the source of everything is ultimately ultimately the, the highest authority. He didn't just have higher authority than the false teachers. He had higher authority over everyone. And so Paul is making his readers aware that these guys who were coming into the church, not only did they not have anything really to offer the believers, the most they could offer was an illusion But they also had no authority behind what they were offering. Because all that we need is found in Christ and he holds the highest point of authority. Now we'll probably break here because it's a good breaking point. And like I say, it's going to be three weeks. Because now he moves into dealing with another threat that uh, the church in Colossae faced. And that was those who were trying to pull them back under the law. Those who were bringing a lot of the uh, practices of Judaism into the church and saying, you know, we need to do this and this and this that, we, you know, that the law presented. And so, I don't want to stop in the middle of that one. It's a, it's a pretty significant one for us to look at. Uh, I don't think most of us are in danger of being pulled into Judaism. <laughs> but, a lot of believers are in danger of being pulled into legalism. And into a law way of thinking. And so, we want to, we really want to do a good job of dealing with this one because it is another threat we face. And so, we'll pick that up the uh, second Sunday in January uh, when we come back together. Any questions? We've got a minute or two. I might ask, um, in verse uh, 8, kind of the list that he creates in my mind, philosophy, empty deceit, human tradition. Um, are those uh, is, are those things, um, is he just kind of saying the same thing in three different ways or is um, is that a list of kind of three separate things you would think? No, I think, well, I think it's probably three separate things in a, in a sense. Philosophy, you know, that going into a lot of the Greek stuff, the wisdom, the philosophy, empty deception. Uh, I mean, that could be tied in on both sides. And the traditions of men, uh, you know, yeah, in a sense, it's all, you may not break it into three different things. They're all used to kind of categorize what's going on. There's philosophy, there's this emptiness, you know, it's empty deception. It sounds like something, but it's really not. Uh, it's like Solomon would talk about vanity. Uh, uh, one of my teachers used to, uh, with vanity, say soap, soap bubbles. Soap bubble, soap bubble. Looks like something. You reach out and there's nothing there. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, these guys were promoting empty deception. <laughs> it had the appearance of something, but it was empty. There was nothing in it. And a lot of it built on the traditions of man. You know, just, uh, this is what we've always held to. This is what we've always believed. <laughs> and Just those three words. And, um, uh, and the last one, particularly human tradition. Yeah. Uh, just listening this week of um, the, the rise that, you know, used to be culturally much more, not only acceptable, but kind of encouraged to have a moderate relationship to the church and that yeah. at least at Christmas time go to church yeah. stuff like that and that more and more and more people are openly and willingly categorizing themselves as a religious yeah. they're the nuns yeah. Um, yeah. and so really all they have to fall back on is human tradition tradition yeah, um, yeah. you just start digging into that it's just empty yeah yeah
Yeah. Could you give a practical example, I guess, of appropriation? Of appropriation? Yeah. I'll, like, for example, I was journaling this week, and I, one of the things I did was, I just don't feel like I have what I need. And I had to cross that out because I just read that chapter. Yeah. And, but in, in an example in your day, like, how do you appropriate? Well, to appropriate, first of all, I've got to acknowledge that it exists, okay? Um, appropriation requires, first of all, faith. And I think, secondly, it requires dependence on the Holy Spirit. You know, I can, I can believe that I am complete in Christ. And I can say, Lord, I believe that I am complete. And I want to take hold of that completeness and use it. But I can't do that myself. So my prayer has got to be, Lord, I want your Holy Spirit to increasingly work into my life those provisions that are mine in Christ. Yeah, Joe? And also, the thing I was thinking about, I was just thinking about this, was this whole thing... I'm not simple-minded, as y'all probably figured out. And I just find myself coming to the Word and saying, Lord, I want to meet you here. And by your Spirit, would you enable me to understand what I am and what I have in you a little more this day? Because it's a building on, isn't it? I mean, these terms are fabulous, and they sound wonderful. But it is a day-by-day, moment-by-moment. Just yeah. growing in the Lord, being in the Word. And Lord, show me these truths. Yeah. Because we have to know, like you were saying about the, the, the students yeah. with the provision there, yeah. what they had, we got to even know what we've got. Yeah. So yeah. this drove me to the Word. Yeah. Because I heard these things... Rick's dad, and early on, when I was, or was early, an early bar person, mm. uh, <laughs> uh, I didn't know these things. I didn't. And I'd hear Rick's dad and later, Rick, and I would think, man, this sounds fabulous. But how does this work? Yeah. So I knew that I had to come here to meet the Lord. And, mm. you know, starting maybe in Romans, and, mm. Lord, I want to see your provision. I believe it's there. I see it in people around me. I saw it in my mm-hmm. people. And I wanted what they had. Mm-hmm. And the Lord just began mm-hmm. to slowly reveal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it wasn't that I just like, oh, I believe in all. Yay! Well, in appropriation, you don't just suddenly grab hold of it. You know, it, and again, uh, Stanford in Principles of Spiritual Growth has a pretty good chapter on appropriation. And he points out, okay, first of all, you've got to see the need. Secondly, you've got to see the provision. But then you've got to trust God to do the work of working it into your life, into a very real way. And it's not like, okay, I grab hold of it. That's where the analogy breaks down that I gave. Because the guy finds out where the money is in the bank and he goes and writes a check. <laughs> it's not that simple in the Christian life uh, that uh, we don't have to... Uh, give God time. It's the Holy Spirit that ultimately is going to take those truths and make them realities. But it starts with, with your, again, uh, the juster to live by faith. Uh, we've got to believe God and then trust that He is very capable of taking those truths and making them experiential realities. Yeah, Jillian. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's two ways where I see him do that. Where one, he revealed it was an unholy ache yeah. that was apart from him that would never be. Yeah. And so the ache was actually my flesh craving satisfaction. Yeah. And it took time for the Lord to reveal that this isn't going to be filled because I've actually filled this in Christ, but you've gone off. Yeah. And so then that ache wasn't a sign for me to feel like it was something to kind of let burn. Um, yeah, and so, and, and not be filled, because it really, I was fulfilled in Christ, but I was off. And then the second thing was just, um, like where Dave and I were having some conversation that was over 21 years, and we were realizing, like, perhaps the Lord is just wanting us to go forward with this thing that it's not you change your eyes. Like, it was this sweet kind of 
realization of I like we're like we're we're just trusting the Lord to give us what we need in this. We're going to keep praying, but we see that the Holy Spirit's going to have to show us more. Yeah. So right now we can't get it solved, but we're going to literally wait upon the Lord. Yeah, and trust Him. This is what we need. Yeah. We're still confused. Yeah. But we don't think another two hours of going back and forth is helpful. Yeah. But we're we're going to stay here and just wait upon the Lord and now go forward in faith of knowing that He's carrying us. Because so, I think in my mind, intellectually, I want some solutions. Right now. what appropriating is. I feel like the Lord's weaning me off of my own understanding and then just kind of... Trusting him. him. Yeah, and yeah. And not having to put a bow on it. Yeah, yeah. Giving that bow to him and just, okay, well, I'm, I trust you because you've said all these things. Yeah. And that, I'm not yeah. going to move forward. Even though I feel a little bit unsettled and unsure... You you aren't. So yeah. I'm going to go for it. So that for me has been a, this like really practical yeah. place. Yeah. In my mind, I thought, no, I have to have it all worked out. I have to know what's yeah. going on. I have to be a co-partner. And I'm like, yeah. no, I'm not. Like I am, Lord, it's all you. Yeah. yeah. I'm not even yeah. the captain chair beside yeah. you. Yeah. Like I literally. Yeah. Am, yeah. Just yeah. And in a sense, we can't even take pride in in the fact that we appropriated it. Uh, you know, we came to the place and trusted Him to work it into our our, our lives. You know, rather than I appropriated it. You know, no, no. He he. You know, I came to that place of wanting it, desiring it, knowing it was there in Christ, but realizing He's going to have to make it a reality, and trusting Him to do that. Okay, we're out of time. Let me just pray. Lord, we do thank you just for the fullness. Uh, that we have in Christ. May we really come to see ourselves as full and trust you in that way and trust you to take these things and make them increasingly an experiential reality in our lives. For it's in the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.